1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 379 of the Battery Power podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It's Sunday evening, November the 20th. It's Thanksgiving week, feast week, however you want to call this week that's coming up, a week where no one does any actual work in the world. And I'm joined by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Welcome back. And I hope you're feeling much better after your absence last week where I had to go solo. No one wants that in the future. So
2: You are a pro's pro doing a solo podcast. Uh, For anybody who has never done a podcast before, try to talk to yourself for like 40 minutes about a singular topic and see how it goes. It's uh, a little more difficult than maybe you would imagine. But uh, nonetheless, happy to be feeling better. Happy early Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. And yeah, this is even if there's no baseball games happening, this is just an awesome time of the sports calendar. Everything going on. The World Cup started today, too. Even if you're not a big soccer person like I am, uh, it's a just such a great event. So very, very cool time of year.
1: Yeah, I am not a big soccer person, but even I will watch the World Cup because it's that big of a deal. So I will keep an eye on that as uh, things go in the next several weeks. And on the baseball side, listen, I mean, it's not like there's anything, anything going completely crazy, but there is a kind of a steady stream of things to talk about which I was able to talk about last week. Uh, I had enough material to do a solo podcast because there was actually some stuff stuff to discuss. And that's the same this week. There were awards. There were some minor rumors. There was the non-tender deadline where the Braves made some active moves. Nothing crazy but still made some stuff happen. There was a trade. um, And then we'll talk about the bullpen. Uh, We sort of do this uh, annual kind of review series, and we're going to talk about the bullpen in 2022. And spoiler alert, it was really, really good this last year. And we'll sort of end with that at the end of the podcast. But there is a bunch of stuff to discuss. I want to start with the rumor stuff. Uh, In a shocking turn of events, Scott, Ken Rosenthal reported that the Braves are not, in fact, considering trading Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Water is wet is the way I will say that. Um, I will... uh, I mean, there's probably a little bit of nuance here, but honestly, is there anything to talk about? Like the fact that they were going to be trading him was kind of never on the horizon. Like there's a different conversation to be had potentially about like whether he's happy with his contract. That was kind of the sub discussion that was happening, which honestly, he probably isn't thrilled with it because it's a terrible contract for a player. But still, they're not going to trade him. And uh, here we are.
2: Yeah, man, we got to start as a collective group we have to start vetting people better on like Twitter or your blog of choice because there's no way as you said, I mean, we, we don't even need to spend, we've probably already spent more time on it talking about it for the last 90 seconds than it deserves, but nonetheless it was out there. But yeah, I, I think, uh, thankfully Ken Rosenthal, one of the probably two leading voices for the entire sport poured some very cold water on a non-existent fire. Uh, the Braves are not trading, ronald acuna jr
1: i know uh you are more partial to jeff passen your personal nemesis so (laughs) uh my uh, buddy he's the other guy in that top two list along with rosenthal just for clarity's sake but uh elsewhere in that same piece by rosenthal he reported that the braves quote will probably be out of the picture end quote for carlos correa trey turner or xander bogarts now that's not hugely surprising but here's the other part of it uh Ken wrote that the Braves are reluctant to enter into a deal with any player who takes up too high a percentage of their payroll, knowing in future seasons that the salaries of their young players will rise. That is a quote that I didn't love, necessarily. Now, I I do understand it, but just uh, before we touch on Dansby and kind of all the shortstop stuff, What'd you make of that? Because I, I was just a uh, sort of an eyebrow raise for me and on the, on the heels of all of the, like we're about to raise the payroll sting uh, stuff that's been out there. Rosenthal reporting that is probably not out of the clear blue sky. So the Braves not willing to spend big money on anybody is interesting to me on some level.
2: Yeah. I would be curious to know who Ken Rosenthal, who again, very respected, longtime writer. I would be curious to know where Ken Rosenthal is getting his information. Um, I don't know this, but he is part of the same network of The Athletic that employs David O'Brien, who I think thinks he knows things more than he does actually know things. Uh, sorry, DOB, but um, you know, if, if, if Ken is reporting DOB's conjecture, obviously that's one thing, but, but Rosenthal is very well connected and he might be talking to somebody within the Braves organization or just agents who have talked with Atlanta this offseason so far. Um, you know, for me, I, I don't. It was an interesting report. The fact that if Atlanta is willing to go, say, five or six years at 25 million dollars a year for Dansby Swanson, but they're not willing to go an extra year and an extra couple million dollars to go for Carlos Correa, for example, I don't know if I necessarily buy that. I mean. Obviously, if you're going to sign one of the four big free agents, it is going to be a very large amount of your payroll one way or the other. Um, so that was a little odd. I don't know what to make of it.
1: Yeah, same. I don't want to overstate it either. I wasn't like furious about it. It was just an interesting little nugget where like most of the attention was, I guess, rightly paid to Dansby and what he wrote about Acuna, but that was kind of just slipped in there. So wanted to at least flag it for a moment. Um, I will say that that quote also, um, at least the part about them taking kind of being out of the picture for Correa, Turner and Bogarts puts a lot of heat on a potential pursuit, of course, of Andy Swanson and DOB, who you already referenced, wrote extensively on Wednesday of this of this week about Ron Washington working with Vaughn Grissom. Uh, seemed to be one of those things that was like kind of put out there to get people ready if the Braves actually go to Vaughn Grissom at shortstop. The timing was pretty interesting to me. And We've all talked about it a little, a little bit in our different ways. I know I know Stephen and Chris talked about it a little bit this week as well. Uh, I have kind of just set the table that I will not be very happy if the Braves go with Vaughn Grissom or Orlando Garcia at shortstop this season. The only way that you could sell it to me would be if they were to go big somewhere else, a la like left field, or maybe if they like were to find a high end starting pitcher to kind of offset that cost. But if it's just a money thing. That is not going to go over well, at least with me. I wonder what your thoughts were on uh, kind of the, the groundwork being laid for the uh, Von Grissom shortstop experience.
2: Yeah, it was interesting timing of this piece. It was very positive and talking to Ron Washington and how highly he spoke of the work that Von Grissom has has put in and, and how far he has come along. Um You know, Because Vaughn was so good right out of the gate whenever he got promoted over the summer months, and then he struggled down the stretch, I think that was only fair and natural to expect of a young player like him. It's just so difficult to uh, make the adjustment once again to big league pitching once the book gets out on you a little bit. Um, I, I think highly of Vaughn Grissom. I don't know necessarily if he is going to be able to be an everyday shortstop for a team that's going to try to win a world series next year. Um, I I am truly, I don't even know what the right word is, confused, conflicted, miffed about what the Braves are going to do at shortstop and really what the Braves should do at shortstop. Uh, I do agree that you do not want to get into bed at a position that generally does not age very well. You know, as good as, Trey Turner is. Do I want to give Trey Turner eight or nine years? No, probably not. Uh, but at the same time, if you don't shell out the money or work out a trade for a good shortstop, it is such a valuable and important position. I just don't know if they can hand the keys to Von Grissom and Orlando Arcia for a team that's trying to win another World Series. Maybe they end up doing it. Maybe the, the market just doesn't land in a, a place they're comfortable with. But Um, you know, this time last year with first base, I thought it was pretty clear that one of three things were going to happen. It was going to be Freddie Freeman. It was going to be Matt Olson, or it was going to be Anthony Rizzo. And even Rizzo seemed like a distant third, right? Like he was not a one C he was a pretty distant backup plan to the the first two. I really don't know what Atlanta is going to do at shortstop. And I think it's just, it's both fun and also a little, um, Nerve wracking, even just because it is such an important position. But nonetheless, it was an interesting timing, I think, of that article on Von Grissom.
1: Yeah, if it truly were out of the mix or always close to it on the other top guys, it just becomes this interesting thing where there aren't the three scenarios. I guess maybe there are, it's like Swanson trade target X or, uh, or Grissom and Arcea. And this is one of those little things that people may not be thinking about, but, um, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this out loud. So it's not probably an original idea of mine, but like, imagine Vaughn Grissom, and his defensive projection that we've been told about and also seen a little bit. You know, I rely on our minor league guys for some of this intel, but also just the scouting reports from other people. And what we saw him for him playing second base this year, the numbers were pretty ugly there for him. Uh, there are no shifts allowed this season, uh, at least no major shifts allowed. And now you have a left left side of the infield with Austin Riley and Vaughn Grissom. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> the pitchers probably wouldn't love that either. So, uh, I don't know that. I mean, Arcia is fine at shortstop, but he's, uh, as we talked about it, I He can't really hit. So I don't know. Uh, there are ways to sell it to me, but it has to be like with a substantial upgrade elsewhere. And I think this is one of those spots where, I guess Dansby is pretty popular. Uh, I think Braves fans would not just kind of be quiet about a, probably amounts to a money-saving move to let him go with another no upgrade somewhere else especially with everything else going on so we'll come back to it if we need to but uh that's it's that's kind of a wild one also you made the point in our doc here i want to i'm going to let you say it out loud um, about the synergy between uh paying charlie morton and not paying swanson or and or going cheap at shortstop because that wouldn't go over well either let's just say
2: yeah, and not to beat the Charlie Morton horse any more than it has already been beaten.
1: I will defend I, Charlie Morton to the death, Scott. I will do it. I, I did it, I did it. then I'll do it now.
2: <laughs> I will too. I had no real issue with that deal. And as a reminder, one year, $20 million for Charlie Morton. I just, despite what Ken Rosenthal has reported or heard or whatever you want to say, I just have a weird and hard time believing that the Braves would commit $20 million to who will effectively be their fourth starter next year behind Freed, uh, Wright, and Strider with, with Charlie Morton, I have a hard time believing they would commit $20 million to 39-year-old Charlie Morton on October 1st or whatever day it was and then know that they have a very, very, very small margin of spending at such a premium position like shortstop. Uh, it, it just It never really added up to me. Um, as you noted, there have been some very public statements made about payroll going up and that would make sense. But to be fair, at some point you can't just hand out a blank check to all, you know, all nine positions on the field. Uh, you do have to balance your money one way or another, but I, I think the, I have a hard time believing the Braves are going to be cash strapped this off season. If they already decided to give $20 million to Morton you know, six weeks ago or whatever it was.
1: Yeah. And there's the whole thing we talked about. I I know I talked about it a little bit by myself last week, but there's the sort of the noise between there's been some public statements from beat writers about how the Braves aren't going to pay the luxury tax or competitive balance tax, but they're also up against it already. And you can't really go into where they've been talking about going to without paying the competitive balance tax. So we'll see how that that all goes. But uh, it was at least an interesting reporting deluge in the last few days. And speaking of, the Liberty Media um, stuff. They're actually, this is more of a business story than I have much uh, insight on, but they're apparently going to be splitting the Braves off into a different stock. They'll have its own symbol. Basically, you can now, at least not now, but you you will be able to basically buy stock in the Atlanta Braves and not just Liberty Media. That's an interesting thing. That includes the battery as well. I'm not smart enough to know how that all works for sure. But there was in the middle of that announcement, the Liberty Media CD, CEO made a quote about expecting a top five payroll that kind of made the rounds before the full quote actually came out. Um, people got really excited about this when they were talking about it, but I'm going to give you the full context and I'll let you respond to that. Um, basically, he referenced the World Series win and the season last year, and they are, in, quote, investing in the payroll to fuel the flywheel here. of success, uh, driving on success, et cetera, et cetera. With this enormous enormous financial success that we have, we believe we have more to come. And here's the money quote: here, we were eighth in payroll last season, up from the mid-teens the last couple of years. And I fully expect here's the big part: in the next few years, we are going to be in the top five. We can afford it, and revenue and fan engagement are good long-term financial success and franchise value. Now, it got reported as we're going to be in the top five without the in the few in the next few years part. So that's a pretty interesting caveat. Now they're still spending right now. Like I think at this very moment, they're probably in the top five or seven because a lot of teams haven't really spent their money yet. And the Braves have already spent a ton of money on their future facing guys. But, uh, interesting to me anyway, the difference between in the next few years or top five payroll now, because top five payroll now basically almost definitely includes a competitive balance tax payment that I'm not sure they're going to make.
2: Yeah. The, the collective, uh, the tax payment is interesting because Really, you can go into the tax threshold once and maybe even twice and not pay a huge penalty. It's teams that want to be above the tax every single year that get hit with big, big time tax bills. Now, it's easier said than done because generally you're going to have to give players multiple year deals. So it can be challenging to get under the tax threshold suddenly um, but, you know, it's, it's not going to be that much money. I believe it's 20% if you go into the CBT threshold. And that's only 20% of however much you go over. So even if the Braves go $10 million over the first level, that's only a $2 million fee they're going to have to pay. Now, $2 million is a lot of money. Uh, I'm not writing the check but for the Atlanta Braves and based on all of the quotes that have been said and you mentioned their stock being split going public um you know it's not that much money at the end of the day so you know th- this notion that they will absolutely not go above a certain threshold maybe it's true maybe just for appearance sake but it's really not as big of a deal at least for a year or two as it would be made out to be
1: i agree with all of that and uh i would not have Gone as hard as I know Dob went. Maybe a couple others have gone to say they're not going to pay it because it just the penalties are not that not that significant. And if they have a reason to do that, and more importantly, the backing of ownership and leadership to spend the money, why wouldn't they go into it? Um, Even if you want to avoid long term stuff, like they have enough discounts in the future for their guys on good contracts that they shouldn't have to go crazy in the future either. So if they have a good opportunity to go ahead and go into it now, not the worst idea in the world. All right, Scott, let's take a break. And we'll come back and talk about the award stuff from this week, the non tenor de- deadline stuff and new contracts for Tyler Matzik and Mike Soroka, as well as the bullpen. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away.
1: Scott, no Braves won the Cy Young or MVP awards, but they did sweep Rookie of the Year. Now, that was not a big surprise, but Michael Harris won it. Spencer Strider finished second. Uh, That order was what I would have gone with. Uh, I was definitely open to other orders. Basically, those guys had to be in the top two, but Harris won it. And then, uh, th- I think the biggest surprise to me, anyway, on the award stuff for the Braves this week was Max Freed finishing second in Cy Young balloting. Not that he didn't deserve it or have a great season, but I would not have pegged him to finish second. Um, and, you know, there were some MVP MVP votes as well. Your guy Kyle Wright in the top ten of Cy Young voting. I know you were, pro- I know you were, you were happy about that, but uh, did you have uh, Max going in the top two? Because I certainly did not uh, in the National League.
2: <laughs> yeah, kind of quietly. I mean, we know. Really, it's been Max Freed's mo the last couple of years, just being so consistently good. as we have seen him evolve as a pitcher, like we know that Max could go out there and chase double digit strikeouts most nights. And really, I think he could do that pretty consecutive uh, consistently. Um, but as we've watched, you know, he has so many variations of each of his pitches, and he's really just learned how to be a complete pitcher, work deeper into games, manage his pitch count. Um, yes, when I saw he got second place, that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, you you mentioned Kyle Wright again, even the biggest Kyle Wright believers, I don't think anybody had him getting 10th place in Cy Young voting. Uh, and and then you mentioned off the top, the, the rookie of the year going one and two, I actually think I would have given it to Strider personally. I think among his peers, he was just so dominant and ranked near the very best of the best in the league. That being said, Michael Harris is a very, very deserving uh, rookie of the year. The fact the Braves went one and two, I think it's something that's only been done like three times in the history of the award, which is really cool. Um, and, and then you mentioned, of course, Aust- uh, Austin Riley finished sixth in MVP MVP voting. It looked like maybe once upon a time in July when he was just on fire he might have a legitimate chance at it. We know he cooled off significantly down the stretch, but yeah, it's just a a good representation of how good the Braves were this year.
1: Yeah, Riley had the month of his life and it certainly felt like he was in the mix when that happened. Um, He definitely, like you said, cooled off. And I think him being sixth is a totally reasonable spot for him to end up in. Um, The funny, maybe not funny, the most interesting vote that I thought was that DOB actually had Michael Harris sixth on his MVP ballot there are public ballots and he actually had Harris ahead of Riley on his MVP ballot. That was interesting to me. <laughs> I would uh, not have done that. And
2: I, I would not either.
1: And I'm not, I'm not the biggest Austin Riley guy. I think I've always been seen as being a little bit lower on him. And I think having him behind Harris is a little bit strange, but anyway, Danzi got 12th Harris got 13th and uh, there you go on the award stuff for now. Also, Friday was the non-tender deadline, and the Braves were busy, although nothing out of crazy ordinary. We have to uh, eulogize the tenure of Guillermo Heredia. Like, I guess he could be back at some point. I never want to rule it out, but he was DFA'd along with William Woods and others this week. Uh, I I think we all enjoyed the Guillermo era immensely. If this is it, uh, he, he was a lot of fun. Uh, he was not always the most productive guy on the field. Hasn't played a bunch the last couple of years, but in a, in a DH era with a deep, with deep bullpens, like he didn't have to play and the vibes were immaculate.
2: Yeah. I wish we had um, the rights to Celine Dion. <laughs> My heart will go on. We do not I think have be... the rights by
1: the way, just, just to be clear. We don't, we don't have the rights. it yeah, course.
2: I figured we'll uh, we'll save ourselves that email from her representation. Um, but no, <laughs> it's uh we will miss Guillermo maybe he catches back on but as you noted um just kind of an all-time team vibes guy with the pirate swords Uh, just such a fun player to watch always yelling at somebody in the dugout um yeah that was it was too bad to see Guillermo go but as we know this is going to be a tough 26-man roster to crack and I think uh his spot seemed to be vulnerable
1: Yeah, not a surprise, really, but uh, he might be back at some point. We'll see. William Woods, by the way, is like a talented 23-year-old. He actually got claimed by the Mets, so we might see him again across the uh, diamond in the near future. But the two sort of headline-grabbing things that happened on Friday were guys being re-signed ahead of arbitration and ahead of the non-tender deadline. Um, Mike Soroka is back for one year and $2.8 million. Ironically, that was the exact projection that MLB trade rumors had about his arbitration. So they avoided arbitration by signing him exactly to that number. He has not pitched in the majors since August 3rd of 2020. He did come back in the minors this year. We are already here for Mike Soroka. I had no issue with this. I'm not surprised by it. I think there was probably n- almost no chance the Braves were going to not, uh, not bring him back at some cost because – once he got back on the mound, it was like, all right, he's close enough where they have to always try it for next year. And this is about the about the right money. I mean, it's obviously some real money. It, it does impact things, but you couldn't just give him the bare minimum either with the way that he was able to pitch before he got hurt. So it's a nice little compromise.
2: Yeah, at this point, by the time spring training rolls around, it's going to be two and a half calendar years since Mike Soroka has really pitched in the major leagues. So. At this point, you're in, right? Like you might as well see if he can make it all the way back. As you noted, we are all rooting for Mike. Uh, I think it's only fair to be um, guarded with our optimism that he's going to be able to come all the way back just because it is a an unprecedented injury what he's trying to come back from. And then the fact he has not really pitched regularly for almost three years, right? It was August of 2020 when he first got hurt. Uh, So you talk about spring of 2023, hopefully for spring training, he comes out ready to go. I really would love to watch Mike have a healthy season next year. Uh, But as you noted, tendering him a contract for a couple million dollars was a no-brainer. Hopefully he's ready to go. And of course, because he uh, was, was tendered, you have the option of getting out from his contract in the spring, should he, God forbid, get hurt again or something like that. You're not on the hook for all of the money, so... Um, good to have good to have Mike back again, and we will all be rooting for him.
1: Absolutely. And also before the deadline to non-tender or make decisions on that, the Braves announced a two-year deal for Tyler Matzick. Now, as a reminder, he was a potential non-tender candidate because he's going to miss all of 2023 with the injury. So cross him off for 2023. But this deal is worth a total of $3.1 million over two years. It's $1.2 million. For 23 and 1.9 million for 24. And there's a club option for five and a half million in 2025. If he is back and rolling and rocking and all that stuff, it could be a valuable club option for the Braves. And basically, they're hoping to get value in the last two years of this deal. And it's ex- it's extremely similar to. To what they did with Kirby Yates. Now, Kirby Yates, they paid more money to. Kirby Yates had been basically a, the best reliever in the league, or at least the top five guy in the league before the injury. Um, that was also a club option, more obviously more money, but and Matik's more of an internal candidate, obviously. But this is a friendly structure for Anthopolis that we've seen in the in the past. And essentially, there's almost no downside. Yes, you're paying him. Uh, for two seasons but it's less than two million a year that is essentially the minimum or always close to it for a veteran so uh I like this move it's a gamble and I hope that he gets back at full strength in 2024 but Matzik has already kind of had this extremely roller coastery career but when he's on he's obviously fantastic and he would I think he was hurt this year honestly before he was before he actually got hurt I think he was probably hurt before that the numbers were just too rough for him but we, we all know how good, he, how good he is when he's actually on, so they're hoping that actually uh, is rekindled in the near future.
2: Yeah, I'm happy, first and foremost, I'm I'm happy and pleased that the Braves made the right decision with Tyler, knowing that he was going to go under the knife or has gone under the knife and will not pitch next season. They could have very easily non-tendered him and saved a few dollars. Uh, this is a move by, by signing him to the two-year deal, set aside the fact that he could come back you know, as strong as ever in 2024, uh, the human side of the game. This is a deal that will win over votes, <clears throat> votes in the clubhouse. Players are not immune or unknowing of situations. The fact that Tyler got paid, I mean, the, the man gave his shoulder and his elbow to bring a championship to Atlanta. And as you said, he was never healthy, right? He had the balky shoulder early on. And of course, he had the elbow surgery, Um, So very happy the Braves are keeping Tyler around. As you noted, if you're going to bet against anybody, uh, this man has overcome a lot of things in order to be where the spot he is today. Uh, We're all rooting for Tyler. Hopefully he has a clean and uh, non noteworthy recovery in 2023. And then this time in a year, maybe a little bit more, we're talking about him as a, as a real piece of the bullpen for the Braves.
1: Yeah, that's uh, well said. And you said, you mentioned the playoff success, uh, just as a reminder, over two playoffs, obviously he was more reminder for 2021 when they won the World Series. But even in the previous playoff run, he has a combined 1.48 ERA in 24 and a third playoff innings with 38 strikeouts. Uh, that is lights yeah. out, folks. It <laughs> doesn't really get much better than that. So he was uh, obviously a hero across two different different postseason runs. And we wish the best for Tyler. Um, Before we get to the bullpen review of 2022, the Braves did add a piece from the outside this week. They traded cash for a reliever, uh, Dennis Santana from Texas. The second trade with the Rangers in not a very long period of time, which is noteworthy to me. But a 26-year-old, kind of ugly career ERA numbers and 134 appearances. So not a guy who's like freshly up, like he's been in in the majors for a few years now. Seems to be like kind of a sinker slider guy, not a huge strikeout guy, pitches to contact, um, but good peripheral numbers this year. He actually had a FIP and an XR, XERA in the threes. Um, the interesting thing about this, though, and I want to throw it to you, they DFA'd Jackson Stevens to make room for Santana on the roster. They could bring Stevens back, but he was pretty solid this year. He wasn't fantastic or anything, but he was okay, and Anthopolis, you know, seemingly, at least for now, is choosing Dennis Santana over him, which was at least kind of interesting to me.
2: Yeah, for the traditional stats, you would look at Dennis Santana and go, why on earth would they trade for this guy? Uh, But as you noted, his metrics indicated that he was a lot better than what his results were. His baseball savant profile uh, was really good, actually gets a lot of spin on his fastball he does a good job of getting hitters to chase outside of the zone so this is a i guess an analytics driven move nobody falls over backwards to trade for a reliever with a career 512 era but there is stuff to like from his profile the way he throws you mentioned his sinker and slider combination so there are things to like here to be sure um Yeah, I was a little surprised to see Jackson Stevens DFA'd. He was somebody who played a really nice role for this team and I think earned the trust of Brian Snitker, especially down the stretch. Uh, Maybe Stevens will come back. I'm guessing he will go out and now look for a fully guaranteed big league deal. Maybe he gets it, maybe he doesn't. But, um, you know, the trade itself is fine. I'm all in for lottery tickets in the bullpen Uh, But the fact that they had to let go of Stevens, one, was a little bit of a reflection on how much depth there is in the bullpen currently. Uh, But it was a bit of a surprise.
1: Definitely Uh, not a huge deal necessarily, but uh, certainly a surprise is the way to uh, describe all of that. All right. The rest of the show we're going to get into kind of a review of the bullpen from last year. We all know the deal. If you're a diehard Braves fan, this is not going to be super new to you, but we kind of take stock after the season and looking at the bullpen first. And it was a good time to do that with all the talk about Matzik and Santana and Stevens It was a good week to kind of get into the bullpen a little bit. Um, Broadly speaking, we'll talk about the individual players in a second, but this bullpen was awesome this year. And I think we tried to highlight that over the course of the season, but I think even we Maybe we weren't as high on the bullpen as we should have been. Uh, I'm going to read some numbers to you, Scott. And these are these are in all of baseball, not just the National League. In all of baseball, the Braves were number two in bullpen war according to Fangraphs in the entire of in the entirety of Major League Baseball. That is obviously awesome. They were number four in baseball and number two in the National League in ERA among among bullpens at 3.03. That's an awesome figure. Number three in baseball in FIP. Number three in baseball in strikeout rate. Top ten in walk rate. Um, And one of the good things, actually, is that they didn't have to throw a lot of innings. They were still all those things with a bottom 10 inning total because you have good starting pitching as well. So essentially, this is an elite group. That was the plan all along. And while I'm always keen to say that bullpens are volatile because they are... um, it wasn't this year for the Braves. They were really, really good across the board. All Not everything was perfect, but when you look at the uh, sort of the totality of what they were able to put out there out of the bullpen, when you factor in the, the trade for Iglesias and uh, having the around and obviously paying, paying Kenley, uh, you couldn't really have many notes, broadly speaking, about this bullpen. They were pretty good all year long.
2: Yeah, the bullpen was great. And not only was the bullpen great, but you think back, it was a group that lost Luke Jackson with maybe yep. a week. You know, a week before opening day, they lose Luke to Tommy John. Uh, We know that Will Smith was not particularly effective. Um, So it wasn't like they had absolutely everything go right either. Um, We're going to go, you know, reliever by reliever here. But overall, the unit was really good. You mentioned the fact that the starting rotation did its job for a lot of the year and worked deeper into games, which helps keep the bullpen fresh. Uh, it helps when you make a midseason trade for like legitimately someone who might have been the best reliever in baseball down the stretch. Uh, so just a really really good group, and I think going into the year, it was a unit that projected to be good, and they, I mean, absolutely passed all you know possible tests or expectations.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't. <laughs> They weren't the best in baseball across the board, but when you throw in, I, I almost not that, not that I forgot about Luke Jackson, but the fact that he was a key piece coming into the season on paper, and then didn't pitch at all. Matzik was Matzik this year. Um, you know, yeah, I, for, Smith, I forgot to mention Matzik, too. I mean, yeah, he was, I mean,
2: <laughs> we know how important he was in twenty twenty one. I mean, he was the man.
1: Yeah, I mean, Will Smith was really bad this year. Like before before the trade and i know i was obviously defending will smith a lot last year but he was bad this year before the trade so like all this stuff's factored in like you it's not just uh and we're, we're gonna focus on the guys who were good for the most part but uh the braves managed to be that good at the bullpen with nothing from jackson bad numbers from matic bad numbers from will smith etc so that's uh even more impressive in some ways um the most probably prominent guy in the bullpen for the full season was Kenley Jansen, who they paid a bunch of money to on a one year deal. It worked out just fine. I don't think it was an a plus transaction, but it worked out good. He was good for the most part. He had a pretty rough August where he kind of uh pseudo lost his job very briefly. He was really shaky at that point. I don't care about this, but people probably do. He led the national league in saves with 41. Um, he had a four, one strike strikeout to walk ratio. His peripherals were pretty good all year long. He's a free agent now, but I mean, if you had to kind of grade the Kenley signing, Scott, uh, it's not an A plus, but I mean, is it a B plus? I don't know where you would have it, but it certainly wasn't a bad signing. I would
2: give it a solid B plus. And over on batterypower.com in previous weeks and going ahead to, we have uh, player review articles and I wrote one for Kenley Jansen. And I was almost surprised what I found with Kenley. If you would have asked me a couple of days ago before I wrote the article and Did some research, I would have said, you know, uh, he was fine. He had some good moments and some bad moments. But no, Kenley is a borderline Hall of Fame closer. And if I would have told you six months ago that he would have a 3.3 ERA, which is solid, maybe not elite, but solid, and even better peripherals, you mentioned the 2.34 expected ERA. He had the best strikeout percentage in six years. He lowered his walk rate. And led the National League with 41 saves. Even if you know, saves is similar to RBI, it's more of a team thing than an individual thing because you you have to rely on, of course, your team to get you to lead with with three you know with with three outs to go in the ninth. But nonetheless, I mean, if I would have told you all of that six months ago, you would have said that the Kenley signing was really really good. I mean, 41 saves is a lot of saves. All of his numbers were fine. I think because the Braves were in such a must win seemingly every single night, even if the math wasn't there, it felt like the Braves needed to win every night in order to chase down the Mets. Whenever you're closer, let's one get away in the ninth inning. And to be clear, Kenley had some bad ninth innings. I mean, he had the horrific night in St. Louis where he literally could not throw a strike. <laughs> uh, he had a outing against the Dodgers on Sunday night where I think he were, he was down to two outs and two strikes ended up giving like four hits in a row from there. I mean, he had some real stinkers, but on the whole, he was perfectly fine. And it was good hindsight by Alex Anthopoulos to add Kenley, because as we know, if Will Smith was going to be the ninth inning option, it would have been not great. And I mean, really up until two weeks before the season started, we expected Will Smith to be in that ninth inning role.
1: Yeah, we thought it was a possibility. I mean, and the thing is, we did did say this, like, you don't, you don't sign Kelly Jansen and not have him be in a prominent role paying that much money, but you know, Snit's very loyal. And we saw that even with Kenley this year for a guy he didn't like, he'd never managed before. Kenley wasn't always the best option. I mean, we'll get into right side Glacius in a second, AJ mentor, but even with Kenley being paid a lot and being a potential hall of famer and having a pretty good season, he wasn't their best reliever, but Snit's very loyal to his guys, especially vets. And we saw that throughout the course of the season. There was like a, a built-in respect level there. And look, like he wasn't perfect, but he did he did the job. We talked about him kind of as a uh, as a free agent candidate. I'll be surprised if they re-sign him. I won't be like totally floored, but because of the asking price, because of what they already have in Iglesias, like it seems like a luxury that they probably can't afford. But, you know, if they want to bring him back, it's not my money. Go ahead and pay it. He, he makes the team better. Like he's better than a typical guy would be. I like to see Iglesias in, um, Iglesias in the most high-profile role as we get in him in a second, but – Kenley would still be in the top three of their best relievers, and that's not a bad place to be for a guy who's 35.
2: Yeah, if they want to spend, I would happily take Kenley back. As you noted, most of the time, teams are going to have a designated ninth inning reliever. And sometimes it's their best guy, right? Sometimes it's Edwin Diaz. And there's both a positive and a negative to having your best reliever locked into the ninth inning. You feel better about it, but at the same time, and as you noted, Now, AJ Minter and uh, Iglesias and McHugh, I mean, you have some really good options here. So if the Braves don't want to shell out the money, if you believe early reporting, it seems like Kenley has a pretty healthy market already. I think the Giants, which would be funny, uh, for him to go to from Los Angeles after all those years to Atlanta, who has probably been the Dodgers' biggest nemesis in the playoffs the last how many years, and then for him to go to San Francisco, that would be... Uh headline worthy to be sure. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe the Braves are able to reunite, but I think there's enough in this bullpen here where if they either don't have the money or want to spend the money elsewhere, I- I'm perfectly fine with it.
1: Yeah, I agree on all counts. Um, moving on to Iglesias. We talked about a second ago a little bit. He was, uh, let's just say unbelievable in Atlanta In 28 appearances. He had a 0.34 ERA and a 1.52 FIP. He struck out 30% of the batters he faced with five walks on the season. So uh doesn't get much better than that. That's not realistic to him, to expect moving forward. But as a reminder, he is signed for three more years at closer, like top 10 level closer money. So he's going to be around for a while. Uh, I have to imagine he'll be the closer this season. And while we are not the biggest like advocates for having a closer in capital C closer terms, uh, if he's gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do that, having Iglesias be that guy is a pretty good spot to be in.
2: Yeah, I mean, you talk about a player who, you know, Iglesias had been really good for years, right? Especially with Cincinnati, he hits free agency, signs a big time contract with the Angels, and as we know, I mean, the Angels are a barely functioning major league team. Like somehow, everything goes wrong in Anaheim for one way or another. So. The fact that the front office was able to go out and identify a pitcher who, uh, you know, he wasn't bad with the Angels, but he was not nearly as good as he had been in the past. Uh, But for the front office to go out, they gave up practically nothing. Uh, Tucker Davidson and then a a month rental of Jesse Chavez, basically, Um, you know, for them to go out and add Iglesias, he exceeded all expectations. And I would agree. I think he'll be the, the de facto closer next season. Um, if they don't go out and sign Kenley Jansen or re-sign Kenley, you know maybe A.J. Minter works in a ninth inning here or there. Uh, but I, I would not be surprised at all if this time in a year, if we're talking about Iglesias as the team's closer. I think that just makes sense. He's right-handed, which is, I think, a benefit in the ninth inning as well. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, I don't think you, – you mentioned his numbers, 28 appearances, a 0.34 ERA – I think he gave up like two runs total and one of them (laughs) came in like his second appearance with the team in garbage time. Like it wasn't like he gave up a a walk off Homer in the 12th inning against the Mets. No, it came in like no man's land. Uh, He was just so, so good.
1: Yeah. And he is 32. He'll be 33 in January. So he's not like the youngest guy in the world, but um, you referenced it, but he is, I pulled this, he is fifth, in all of Major League Baseball among relievers in Fangraph's war over the last seven seasons. He's basically been a top five reliever over a seven-season period. He's number four in baseball over the last three seasons. So it's not like it's a long-term sample, but it was way down by the early time. He's been awesome lately. He's been awesome for more than a half decade. He was awesome this year. And, I I mean, I know he's um, by the end of the deal, and when you're 35, maybe you're a little bit on shakier ground. But for now, like – I can't. I can't pick more than more than three or four guys in the whole league that you'd rather have uh, out of the bullpen for any cost than Iglesias. So, good spot to have for uh, essentially, like you said, free when it comes to anything except for money, which is uh, not not some of my money. So, go ahead and spend it however you'd like to. Um, elsewhere in the dominant reliever category was AJ Minter for this season. He was in the top five in the National League at Fangraphs WAR this year. Had a two point zero six ERA, a two point three sorry two point one three FIP. He led the team in innings. He led the team in appearances. Strikeout to walk ratio was out of sorts. Like AJ was honestly awesome this year. And uh, if, if we did, if we did this podcast pre Iglesias trade, we would have just said flat out he was the best reliever on the team. And he really was for the totality of the season. Iglesias was better once he arrived, but AJ was truly awesome. And to have him be your third guy is just like kind of hilarious because he he'd be the closer on what fifteen teams in the league.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I've underrated AJ Minter, I think, in my own head, and maybe talking on this podcast every week with you. Um, you know, Since he came up, since his first full season in 2018, he ranks ninth among all relievers in war. And that was with the 2019 season where he just didn't have command. And I think he was hurt. He was in that car accident that... Hurt his shoulder. So if you toss out that season two because of an injury, you're talking about one of the game's truly best relievers. Now he probably doesn't get looked that way because he he's not a closer. Maybe he wasn't the most high profile of the Braves' as relievers during the World Series run. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, A.J. Minter is a full-on closer for at least a third of the league. And as you noted, the fact that he is the second or maybe third best arm in the bullpen for Atlanta is is really special. He's, he's just a really good player. And I think he gets overlooked.
1: Yeah, he had the one bad year and essentially has been awesome. Otherwise, he has been really, really good for a long time. And maybe it's the left handed thing, too. You know, this like. Sometimes the, the you know the traditional closer role is a righty and um, sans Billy Wagner. It's mostly always been that way. Maybe Josh Hader now recently for a while, but uh, maybe that's part of it too. But he has been a a closer level pitcher. How you wanted to sort of frame that for uh, quite some time now. Um, after that, there's sort of a, a, a bit of a step down, but honestly, not for me. Like I've always kind of been on this hill, but Colin McHugh is awesome, <laughs> and I think he's speaking of underrated guys. Colin uh, McHugh as not. Got a lot of attention, and I we like that signing. Um, you know, he was number two on the team behind Jansen in Fantagraph's War among relievers this year. He was even better than Kenley in that metric. He threw almost 70 innings of mid 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 two ERAs, um, kind of performance this year. Great peripherals. Um, honestly, had kind of a rocky like first week of the season, basically, and was lights out ever since. And maybe that's part of why he was underrated because people were kind of realizing the beginning of the season a little bit too much, but uh. Another guy who would be maybe the number one guy in a lot of bullpens, and he signed for this year, club option for 2024 as well. Like Colin McHugh is really good. I mean, again, this is like, like speaking to what we talked about a lot before about how this is sort of an embarrassment of riches in the bullpen, but Colin McHugh is awesome, and he's their fourth guy or fifth guy sometimes.
2: Yeah, I think just to add on, uh, when the when the Braves signed him, and it was a two-year deal for $10 million, I forget who the writer was, but somebody – like quote tweeted the announcement saying how on earth did Atlanta get this guy for yeah. $4 million last season and $6 million next season. You know, that's a steal. As you noted, he's, he's underrated. I think he's been underrated for a while, especially with Tampa Bay, again, not in that closer role, maybe not somebody who's going to be on, you know, MLB network every night because he throws 102 miles an hour and it's going to make all the highlight clips, but 70 innings he got off to the slow start but you mentioned his era was 2.13 um, he even admitted that historically McHugh has just not started out very well to begin seasons I think we generally hear that more with hitters guys who take a little while to get going seems like he's in that boat as well but uh, yeah man if if Colin McHugh no matter what kind of role he has uh, he was really good for the team last year and, and projects to be a really important piece again next season.
1: Again, under contract and then a club option after that. So if he has anything resembling this performance in 2023, he'll probably be around again in 24 and uh, a very, very nice setup piece for the Braves. Um, Last two guys are kind of uh, that we'll talk about at least because we could sort of avoid the Matic and Will Smith talk for obvious reasons. Um, On different sides of the spectrum, Dylan Lee, who was very kind of just out of nowhere guy um, coming coming into last year in particular, and then Jesse Chavez. So, Dylan Lee was awesome this year, Uh, kind of out of nowhere, not necessarily totally for like diehards, but a pleasant surprise. At least I'll speak for myself, at least to me. He was really good. Like ERA 2.13, 50 innings. Like that's really good. mid two's FIP. He's still 28 years old, uh, which is not like super young, but he's still pre art. Like he's very cheap and is a lefty who can, can actually get outs, get outs for you. And then Chavez is basically a tale of – a guy who's awesome with the Braves and bad everywhere else. It's, it's really kind of insane. So I don't know where you want to go with Dylan Lee and Jesse Chavez. They're so, they're so very different in terms of like what they are, but I will say this, Jesse Chavez joins Charlie Morton and being older than me, Scott. And I really appreciate that.
2: Uh, Yeah. King, King Jesse Chavez. I'm glad they were able to bring him back. Um, You mentioned, I mean, it's almost like a thing of baseball legend now that's caught on across the league. Like, yeah, Jesse Chavez, he goes anywhere else and he sucks. He goes to Atlanta and he's this awesome middle reliever. You mentioned with the Braves last 71 appearances, a 2.29 ERA. Like, do you know what normal relief pitchers get paid if they post like a low two ERA? Uh, He's just so enjoyable to watch. And then you mentioned Dylan Lee. I mean, I always thought after he started was a game. Game five of the World Series. Uh, It was either
1: four or five, but he is certainly on the short list of most random World Series starting pitchers of all time because he was he was actually I mean, he was a reliever in every way. Uh, And in previous years, there was there were no openers in the World Series. The Braves just got obviously threw a full on bullpen game in that spot. But Dylan Lee starting a World Series game was absolutely unthinkable, even when it was happening, much less uh, before that. But for him to come back and like be good this year, is just it's actually it's actually kind of a great story. (laughs) He was really good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I'm glad for his sake. He's not going to be like a running joke of like, well, you could be the next Dylan Lee. You could start a World Series game and then never be heard from again. Uh, No, he he was really good. I mean, he had he had a little bit of a bumpy road, maybe in the middle of the summer, right after the All-Star break. He had a couple of tough games. But I mean, that's relievers other than the very best of the best. They're going to have ups and downs. Uh, but yeah I mean we've listed off these are the fifth and sixth relievers that we have talked about I mean those guys would be especially Lee with his numbers he would have been in a much more prominent role for a lot of teams and he was throwing like what occasional sixth innings maybe like an eighth inning if it was close but maybe the Braves didn't have a lead and then Jesse Chavez I mean whether it's the second inning the ninth inning or anywhere in between. I mean, you hand the, the ball to the guy and he goes out there and he, he just kind of hums low nineties fastballs that nobody can hit. And he seems like a great dude. He has a great personal story too. Um, so just again, just uh I think we're all rooting for Jesse Chavez and then for Dylan Lee, again, a, a pleasant surprise. We'll see what kind of role he has next season. But if he's able to do it again, uh that that's only going to give the Braves that much of a deeper bullpen.
1: Yeah. And sort to wrap it up a little bit, you know, that, we, talk, we talked about all of the guys who pitched at least 30 innings this year for the Braves. We just listed in some form or fashion out of the bullpen. Um, Strider actually threw 24 and was absolutely awesome when he pitched out of the bullpen, which definitely helped the overall numbers. But, you know, Jackson Stevens pitched 50 and was actually, again, quite solid for an end of the bullpen guy, um, before being DFA Darren O'Day threw 21 innings for the Braves. He was not particularly awesome, but he was not as bad as you might've thought he was. He had an ERA in a low force, so like four point one one five. Um, it might've felt worse than that in the moment, but guys like Sean Newcomb pitched for the Braves this year. You remember that Scott, it's been a while.
2: I, I try not to, but five yes. innings of
1: Sean Newcomb this year. Uh, um, Kirby Yates is the other guy that we should say out loud. He only pitched seven innings this year, but he's under contract for a bunch of money for next year. Kirby Yates is going to be in the bullpen unless he is hurt. And Kirby Yates has sky-high upside, but he wasn't good when he pitched this year. So that's at least something to flag to look at for later on in the winter into the spring, because he's going to be around if he is healthy. But other than that, like, you know, they have little stuff from Tucker Davidson and Freddie Tarnock pitched out of the bullpen and Jay Jackson pitched an inning of third. Like it's all, it's, 20, yeah, 24 guys threw at least uh, pitches out of the bullpen for the Braves this year. Uh, that number is probably smaller when you take out guys. In fact, I'm looking at this now. You know who's included on this list? Uh, Orlando Garcia, oh,
2: <laughs> who yeah. threw an inning,
1: yeah. and Mike Ford. Shots to Mike Ford, who threw an Mike inning of, uh, of relief work uh, as a, as a Brad, this player. is
2: this is a big moment. This is probably the last time you or I are ever going to say Mike Ford's name again. So we should You would
1: you would think so, but commemorate. Uh, right. uh but like listen, I mean, basically you have to assume that even for a team that had, it had an awesome bullpen with pretty decent health, as I knocked on wood, there were still 11 guys that threw more than 20 innings out of the bullpen for the Braves this year. Like you need depth and we'll see how they handle that moving forward. You don't have Matcic coming up, you DFA'd Stevens. Uh, You bring in uh, Santana. It's like always a revolving door on some level. We'll see what Kirby 8s looks like. But uh, just as a wrap up, the Braves were awesome in the bullpen this year. It was a huge strength of the team. It is one of the reasons why they were able to win the division as they did. And the playoffs, it wasn't the bullpen to let them down. So it wasn't like they blew it in the bullpen. It was everything else really around them, uh, even the biggest moments of the season.
2: Yeah, we said on the preseason preview and predictions podcast about the bullpen. Now, without fail, there would be a high, you know, big name reliever who was not going to have a good year. And sure enough, there were a couple of them. And we also said there were going to be a couple of relievers whose names we probably didn't even mention on a 45 minute podcast. And we're going to go on to have really nice years out of the bullpen. And it was Jackson Stevens and it was Dylan Lee. It was Jesse Chavez who they acquired a month into the season. Uh, You know, bullpens are a volatile beast. I think that's as you noted why you just need as much depth as you can possibly have. You, you know, we, we talked earlier in the podcast about trading for Dennis Santana. Uh, you know, get get another lottery ticket out there, and I hope and I think Anthopolis will continue to do it this off season. I'll continue to stockpile arms out there. Not all of them are going to hit. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to have a bad couple of weeks. Uh, but if you just collect as much talent and as much hard throwers as you can find, and see who sticks.
1: That's the plan, basically. And uh, as of this moment, we expect the Braves to be good again in the bullpen next year. And there is volatility, but we'll get into that more as we get closer to March and April. And that will do it for our bullpen review in Thanksgiving week at the end of the podcast. Now, there is one more bit of business to touch on here, Scott. Two weeks ago, I talked to Eric, and someone asked us a question about our non-sports viewing habits when it comes to like TV And movies. And I watch too much sports, but I managed to give a couple of recommendations. It's a good time for this because it's Thanksgiving week. People are going to be driving and then also being with families and trying to avoid their families, potentially, as they uh, that's kind of how the uh, fun works this time of year. People have off of work and more time on their hands. So I have to ask you, Scott, uh, for some things you're watching or have been watching in the last 11 months that are not Arizona Wildcats sports. Or oh, Indianapolis yeah. Colts football, or the Braves, or whatever else. St. Louis yeah. Blues or something. Um, what, what have you been watching? That is a uh, that is not sports.
2: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it was the most watched show. I mean, I loved House of the Dragon. If anybody was into Game of Thrones, maybe you were into Game of Thrones, and then a little rightfully jaded the way the show ended. I was in that camp, but loved House of the Dragon. Um, I'm really into The Crown on Netflix. That was a show I never thought I would like. Uh, but the new season just came out and it's cool. Every two years they do a an all new cast. So I've learned. I mean, I knew nothing about the royal family as of like 18 months ago. And they, they do a good job of weaving in some history. So I like that. Um, I like the White Lotus on HBO is an awesome. I don't even know. It's kind of a comedy, kind of a dramedy, kind of a just commentary on life. Um, but there's two seasons of the white Lotus, they're mini seasons. So it's like six episodes, but they're really, really good. Um, and then, you know, Brad, I'm not a big movie guy. Like we, um, we, we watched a movie the other night. We watched, um, where the crawdads sing, which was of course a very, uh, regarded book. The movie was okay, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not a big movie guy. We'll, we'll watch the Oscar nominees when they come out in a couple of months, but I don't know, i I'm more, more TV shows with the like seemingly unlimited offerings that there are anymore with the 50 streaming services, uh, more of a TV guy.
1: I have one question about this. Did you see Top Gun Maverick?
2: I did. That okay. was great.
1: Okay. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, that's, that's yeah, all I have. Great I mean- movie. I, I used to go to the movies a lot more. I wish I had time to go to the movies more, but I have too many jobs and things to do. Um, so I go less than I want to. There are always, I have a working list of movies that I want to see, and I end up seeing fewer of them than I want to. So I like movies and TV, and we'll see. But Top of Maverick Rules. So I want to list that Yeah, on. great film. That was on my list. But uh, yeah, I'm looking at the top uh, 20 grossing movies from, from this year. And it's kind of a weird s- season that the, movies still because of pandemic stuff and all that. But um, yeah, I've always seen a handful of these. I didn't see a lot of these uh, top famous movies this year, which is uh, unfortunate, but you know, life goes on, Scott, we watch a lot of baseball, we watch a lot of basketball. Yeah, you Your Arizona Wildcats are now in full, in full swing as a quality college basketball team. My team's terrible. I just watched Michigan while uh-huh. we record this podcast, blow a lead in regulation. They won it. They won in overtime. They beat the Ohio Bobcats in overtime. Ooh. So that, that's all you need to know about that, Scott. Um, yeah. But other than college that, hoops. Your... college
2: basketball for me, like, I just love the emotion. I love the crowd, like the home court for college hoops is just unlike anything else. Uh, and then, you know, of course, like you said, we, we watch a lot of sports, but yeah, it's, um, so it's a good time of year. What else? Now you got me thinking. Um, the Batman. I mean, that came out like six months ago. I'm not a huge superhero movie guy. That was that number five,
1: by the way, on the uh, on the box office mojo uh, grossing movies this year. Number five. Okay. So, so I like
2: that. Um, I need to watch Nope. Uh, Jordan Peele's uh, film. I, I think that's on streaming now. I need to watch Nope. Um, I'm looking forward to the, the trailers out. The uh Glass Onion, which is the sequel to Knives Out. If you somehow never saw Knives Out, it's like one of the most enjoyable movies I've watched in years.
1: Um yeah, did, you, did you
2: watch Knives Out, probably? I did.
1: That was that was a good movie. I enjoyed that. I like Ryan Johnson. Uh yeah, that was yeah. I like that movie. I'm trying to think of like anything else that I liked movie-wise this year that I didn't share the first time around. And I'm I'm going through this list and like really having quite a blank at this point. So I like
2: uh, I like the idea of going to theaters. But it's also just so convenient to wait like three months and then just watch it at home. And if you don't like the movie, you can bail after forty-five minutes and don't have to worry about like screaming kids or people on their phones. I mean, I sound like a grumpy old man. I mean, but, you are.
1: You're old and you're am, old and I married am. now, <laughs> and just what it's just what it is, man. It's it's a yeah, deal. yeah. Um, Okay, well, that's enough of our uh, of our movie and TV takes. But uh, people wanted to know, like when Eric and I talked about it, I got a response right away. Like, all right, well, we, we need we need we need Scott's recommendations. I'm, all right, I'll I'll make sure Scott's on it, and uh, you delivered with passion as always, Scott. Thank you, um, man of the people. As for everybody else. That will wrap up today's podcast. We will have content this week. I know it's Thanksgiving. Uh, I believe we'll have at least one episode of the Daily Hammer. I believe we're scheduled to have uh, more from Chris and Steven in the near future. I don't know when our next podcast will be. It might be a week from now. If nothing happens, it may not be. It might be Thanksgiving. It might be a break time, but uh, I promise you we will have continuing audio content on this podcast feed. And we definitely encourage you to subscribe to the podcast across platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. Please download the show, auto-download, click around, do the extra stuff, game system for us, ratings, reviews. We, we really do appreciate that. And I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know another Braves fan in your life or maybe two or maybe 200. However many people that you might know that Braves fans, share the podcast with them. If they like the podcast, we would definitely, definitely love to have them. If they hate the podcast, that's okay. But have, have them give us a chance at some point. Scott, anything to plug before we get out of here?
2: No, we appreciate everybody tuning in. We will continue to be here all off season long for hopefully some news. We've had a little bit of news so far. Should pick up here in the coming weeks. But big thanks to everybody for checking us out. Check out the site, BatteryPower.com. And, uh, yeah, Brad, we'll do this again soon.
1: BatteryPower.com. Subscribe, rate, review, enjoy all of the podcast content. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you all next time.